The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Bloomberg is now in your dashboard with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Yeah, it's free with the latest version of the Bloomberg Business app. Gives you access to every Bloomberg podcast, live audio feeds from Bloomberg Radio, plus hear the latest headlines at the click of a button with Bloomberg News Now. Yeah, it's the Bloomberg Business app. Get it on your phone in the Apple App Store or on Google Play. Just download the app, connect your phone to your car, and get started. It's presented by our sponsor, Interactive Brokers. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We begin in the Middle East, where Israel is now carrying out a raid on Gaza's main hospital, Al-Shifa. The Israeli military calls it a targeted and precise operation against Hamas, but it could add to growing concerns among allies about civilian casualties. Sources tell Bloomberg News the White House is getting more frustrated with Israel's handling of the war and ignoring what the Biden administration calls difficult conversations. But Israeli government spokesman Elon Levy says he is still confident of U.S. support. Israel and the United States are completely in lockstep on the goals of this operation, which is that Hamas must be defeated. Uh, President Biden has been very clear from day one. Uh, we have been very grateful to him for his moral, uh, material and diplomatic leadership in saying that Israel has every right and every duty to go after Hamas and destroy that terror group and eliminate that threat. That is the only way we can make sure another October 7th massacre doesn't happen. Elon Levy tells Bloomberg Radio Israeli troops are delivering medical aid to the hospital. He says this operation won't be the end of Israel's war with Hamas. Well, Nathan Al-Shifa Hospital has now been without power and water for days. Munir Albersh is from the Hamas-run health ministry, and he says newborns are being moved to improve their chances. Because of shortage of electricity, they have gathered them all and put them on those beds together so that they can have some more temperature. You know, the winter is getting inside now Gaza uh, without having proper temperature for them. They immediately die. The U.N. says only one hospital in northern Gaza is still operational at a minimum level. Back here in the U.S., Karen, we're following another major story this morning. The threat of a government shutdown is easing. The House has passed a temporary funding bill. And we get the latest from Bloomberg's Amy Morris in Washington. It is a two-part measure that would fund some parts of the government through January 19th and others through February 2nd, which sets up the possibility of another shutdown deadline on Groundhog Day. Democrats bailed out the Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson, whose plan drew opposition from hardliners in his own party because it doesn't cut government spending nor change border policies. And it also doesn't include aid for Ukraine nor Israel. But Senate Democrats are expected to back it anyway. They'll need the cooperation of all Senate Senators to meet the Friday night deadline when federal funding lapses. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Amy, thank you. Well, we are just hours away from the highly anticipated meeting between President Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping. They're scheduled to meet on the sidelines of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has a preview. 
It will be the first meeting in a year. She was greeted here by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Governor Gavin Newsom. Students line the streets waving Chinese flags. And President Biden says communication here is key. We're not trying to decouple from China. But what we're trying to do is change the relationship for the better. Biden did say President Xi needs to ease the criteria for U.S. companies to invest in China and not require those companies to turn over trade secrets. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. Thank you, Ed. Turning to the economy, a day after investors cheered news that inflation broadly slowed in October, we get two more key readings today, producer prices and retail sales. Let's get a preview of that from Bloomberg's Michael McKee. Sales are forecast to have fallen in October, led by gasoline, autos, and the ongoing drop in inflation. Retail sales are calculated in terms of dollar value, so falling gasoline prices and lower goods inflation should have a major impact. Take those out, and sales are forecast to be up two-tenths, much less than the six-tenths gain in September. Analysts will also be watching for an expected slowing in producer prices. They don't feed directly into consumer indexes, but offer a rough guide to the future path of inflation. Michael McKee, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Mike, thank you. Well, traders are betting the Fed's hiking cycle is over following yesterday's cool inflation print, but a couple of Wall Street titans are throwing caution. We spoke with Citadel founder Ken Griffin. The Fed needs to stay on message that they're going to put the inflation genie back in the bottle. And so if they, if they cut too soon, I think they risk losing credibility around their commitment to a 2% inflation target. Ken Griffin's caution was echoed by J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon. I think they do, they're doing the right thing to pause for now. You know, they've raised rates a lot, you know, to wait to see the effect on the economy in the U.S., particularly as the fiscal spending, uh, the excess fiscal spending is winding down and quantitative tightening is kicking in. But I still think, you know, you should prepare. They might have to do a little bit more. And I think people should be prepared for that just as a kind of a risk management uh, tool. And I'm afraid inflation may not go away that quickly. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon has said previously he's advising clients to be prepared for interest rates as high as 7 percent. Inflation's also in focus in Europe, Karen. In fact, inflation in the U.K. has tumbled to its lowest level in two years. Consumer prices rose 4.6 percent from a year earlier in October, down sharply from 6.7 in September. Slowdowns prompting investors to firm up bets that the Bank of England will be able to cut rates as early as the spring of next year. Well, we turn to earnings now, Nathan, and profit at $0.10 beat estimates. Analysts say it's another sign that Chinese consumers remain willing to spend on games and entertainment during a nationwide downturn. Here in the U.S., earnings continue at Target, TJX, and Cisco, all set to report. Time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Tens of thousands of people from across the country gathered on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. in support of Israel. Organizers encouraged everyone to speak out against anti-Semitism. In America today, you can't remain silent. You know, that was a mistake Jews made during the Holocaust, during the Second World War. They knew what was going on, but they felt, you know, they were too timid to speak up. Speaking remotely from Jerusalem, Israeli President. President Isaac Herzog thanked the demonstrators for gathering and supported marching for, quote, good over evil. 
Israel's assertion that a Hamas command center is under a key Gaza medical complex is being confirmed by the U.S. Bloomberg's Nancy Lyons has the latest. The Biden administration says it does have intelligence that confirms Iran-backed militant groups are using hospitals, including the al-Shifa facility in Gaza, to conceal and support their military operations. This is National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Members operate a command and control node from al-Shifa in Gaza City. They have stored weapons there, and they're prepared to respond to an Israeli military operation against that facility. Kirby says the U.S. does not support striking the hospital from the air or seeing a firefight among helpless sick people. In Washington, Nancy Lyons, Bloomberg Radio. Morning continues in Ohio following yesterday's fiery multi-vehicle crash that killed six people outside of Columbus, including three high school teenagers. Tusky Valley School Superintendent Dr. Derek Vinarski spoke at a vigil last night at the school's outdoor stadium. There are no words for the sheer magnitude of loss and grief felt by all of us. Officials say a semi slammed into a charter bus that was carrying the high school marching band on I-70. A teacher and two parent chaperones were also killed in a vehicle that was following the bus. The massive fire that burned a section of the 10 freeway near downtown L.A. may have started in a homeless encampment. Estela Lopez is CEO of the Downtown Industrial Business Improvement District. Homeless people, when it gets chilly at night, they start fires. When they need to cook, they start fires. This was a disaster waiting to happen. Officials confirmed there were 16 homeless people living under the now damaged section of the 10 freeway. Global news 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now. I'm Amy Morris and this is Bloomberg. Karen. All right, Amy, thank you. And we do bring you news throughout the day right here on Bloomberg Radio. But now, as Amy said, you can get the latest news on demand whenever you want it. Subscribe to Bloomberg News Now to get the latest headlines at the click of a button. Get informed on your schedule. You can listen and subscribe to Bloomberg News Now on the Bloomberg Business app, Bloomberg.com, plus Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. It's time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update with John Stashauer. John. Karen, a big early season college basketball doubleheader in Chicago. It started with Duke beating Michigan State 74-65. And then top-ranked Kansas held off Kentucky 89-84. The Jayhawks' seven-footer Hunter Dickinson scored 27 points. He had 21 rebounds. Busy night in the NBA with all the games part of the in-season tournament. The Warriors had to play without Steph Curry out with a sore knee. And then early in the game, less than two minutes in, there was a fight. Klay Thompson got ejected, and so was Draymond Green, who had Minnesota's Rudy Gobert in a headlock. The Timberwolves again beat the Warriors 104-101. Carl Anthony Towns scored 33 points. Golden State has lost four in a row. Six straight win for Miami. Jimmy Butler scored 32 in a win at Charlotte. DeMonte Murray scored 32 as Atlanta won in Detroit. Indiana handed Philadelphia just its second loss of the season. Pacers won 132-126 in Philly. Tyrese Halliburton, 33 points in the win. Joel Embiid, 39 in the loss. Rough night for the rookie. Victor Wembanyama shot just 4 of 15, 8 points. The Spurs lost by 36 at Oklahoma City. Bruins made it 12-1-2 on the season. A 5-2 win at Buffalo. The Capitals shut out Vegas 3-0. Managers of the year. The Orioles' Brandon Hyde in the AL after skippering the O's to 101 victories. Miami's Skip Schumacher won NL honors. Got the Marlins into the postseason. They'll name the Cy Young winners today. The Yankees' Garrett Cole expected to win in the American League. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, 
The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. We want to get you the latest now on the war in the Middle East and the news that Israel's forces are now inside the Al-Shifa hospital complex in Gaza City, a facility that it accuses Hamas of using as a government center. Elon Levy, uh, Israeli government spokesman, spoke with Bloomberg Radio about the situation on the ground in Gaza and ongoing negotiations to release hostages in the territory. Israeli society is, of course, worried sick for the fate of the 240 hostages who've been in Gaza for 40 days now since the October 7th massacre. There are children in there. There are babies. Babies, they haven't been given access to the Red Cross. I'm afraid I can't comment on negotiations for their release. You'll understand these are sensitive issues. Human lives are at stake. And when we have information, we will, of course, update. If the Al Shifa hospital complex is a main, one of the main Hamas bases in uh, northern Gaza, once that operation is over, does that mean that the military, the Israeli military, has accomplished its main aim in Gaza, in your view? Our main aim in Gaza is to destroy the totality of Hamas's terrorist and governing infrastructure inside the Gaza How significant would it be, though, if the base that you claim is under the hospital, at the hospital, in the hospital, how significant would it be if that was something that was dealt with? How bigger, um, how, how significant would it be in terms of the operation? The Shifa terror compound is, of course, a, a very important target. It would be a very serious blow to Hamas, but we should be under no illusions that if that is uh, overrun, and of course we show all that evidence to the international media, that the operation will be over because we cannot allow Hamas to regroup rebuild and re-metastasize across the Gaza Strip in order to pose a threat to our people. The objective of this war in response to the October 7th massacre, when Hamas declared war on us, is to destroy Hamas completely so that it can never again pose a threat to our people. Chifa Tara compound is, of course, very important, but it's uh, not the end. And uh, we know that the days ahead are going to be long and they're going to be difficult. Are you concerned about support from the United States for the military operation fading? We've been reporting about disquiet within the, the Biden administration with how Israel is conducting this military operation. Not in the least. Israel and the United States are completely in lockstep on the goals of this operation, which is that Hamas must be defeated. Uh, President Biden has been very clear from day one. Uh, we have been very grateful to him for his moral, uh, material and diplomatic leadership in saying that Israel has every right and every duty to go after Hamas and destroy that terror group and eliminate that threat. That is the only way we can make sure another October 7th massacre doesn't happen by eliminating the terror group that is threatening to do it again. Uh, the United States knows that. Not only the United States, so do other Arab governments that the United States has been speaking with. We understand they have their own domestic pressures that mean they can't speak openly on the issue, but they understand that the Iranian proxy 
terrorist group in the Gaza Strip must not be allowed to maintain its territorial control. And that was Israeli government spokesman Elon Levy speaking with Bloomberg's Caroline Hepker and Stephen Carroll. For more, we're joined now by Rosalind Matheson, Bloomberg News Director for Europe, the Middle East and Africa. Roz, good morning. As we watch these developments unfold in the Al-Shifa hospital, we heard those reassurances from the Israeli government spokesman. But the fact does remain that we are hearing as well a lot more frustration, not just from the U.S., but from the international community at large over what is happening in the Gaza Strip. Well, that's right. We, we heard, of course, from the IDF spokesman a short time ago, and they are confirming this operation, which is in the vicinity um, of the Shifa Hospital. They're saying they're now in the grounds. It's very difficult to know exactly what's going on there, though, because there's a communications blackout, so we're getting very little information back out this way about that operation. We do know that Israel said they were bringing in medical crews and Arabic speakers with them. It's very, very delicate, of course, because this hospital has become the focal point on either side, we know that uh, Israel says Hamas has got tunnels uh, under this tunnel. They're using it, they say, as a staging point for attacks. But also, it's a it's a center of, of civilian uh, of civilians who've clustered there um, in the in, in recent weeks into the compound. Uh, we know that they've run very low on things like fuel and medicine and so on. So you've got sort of these competing uh, goals going on in a very very delicate environment, um, and we are getting those global expressions of concern as a result is like when you've got so many civilians in close proximity to a to a to a major military operation uh, how can that be uh, carried out in a way that minimizes uh, the risk to civilians as a result and it brings into even larger focus as well this idea from Israel that Hamas is strategy is to use civilians as human shields as it continues to uh, carry out this war against Israel. But does this feel, though, like a sort of a turning point in this war now to have Israeli forces now inside a hospital uh, facility in Gaza? Well, the interesting thing also is that Israel is saying that uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that their operation in Gaza would be finished. Uh, they've said their goal is to eradicate uh, Hamas entirely to ensure that Hamas could never again carry out an attack to the extent that they did on October 7 inside Israel. So that's a lot more than just going into this this hospital. We are talking potentially weeks and months of fighting inside Gaza, door to door, street to street, um, again, bringing uh, military forces forces and militants into proximity with civilians who are still caught in the north of Gaza. It, it could be a turning point, again, perhaps in the narrative around Israel on this. You're mentioning the heightened sense of global concern, the comments we're seeing, not just from aid agencies in the UN, for example, but also from the US, from Europe, from countries uh, in Africa and, and the region, saying we're really worried about how this could play out on the ground on this particular site. But for no... For, it doesn't seem at all that this would be the end of the Israeli military operation. There's still a long way from what they're saying that they have to go. And to that point, we're still seeing, even with these public expressions of concern from President Biden, that the Pentagon is continuing to draw down weapons and send them to Israel. What is the balance that the U.S. is trying to strike when it comes to continuing to give this type of support to Israel while expressing concern about the uh, risk of civilian casualties? 
Well, that's right. It's a very a tricky balancing act for the US because they're a strong ally of Israel. They've provided Israel for a long time uh, with military assistance, including for the Iron Dome uh, missile shield over Israel. And they've said that they want to continue to support that because that's protecting Israelis um, from attacks coming from Hamas and others, Hezbollah, uh, aerial attacks. And that's important. And they've said they'll continue that. But beyond that, you have the question of if you're supporting Israel militarily, with things like artillery and ammunition, how is that being used? And against whom might that be used in, in such a delicate um, conflict on the ground inside Gaza? And so the US needs to tread very carefully there. And again, you're seeing that balancing act of sort of like, yes, public support uh, still for Israel. Behind the scenes, we know that they are calling on Israel and urging Israel to, to proceed very carefully inside Gaza and that growing sense of frustration about how it seems to be proceeding. And then the third concern for the US is also uh, does this conflict still somehow expand and draw in the U.S. directly militarily in the region? We know the U.S. has sent a lot more of its military assets into the area. We're talking warships and so on, uh, and actually troops being stationed in the region. So that's going to be a high concern for the U.S. also. Absolutely. Thanks for this, Roz. Good to have you with us. Rosalind Mathis and Bloomberg News Director for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Karen. Well, Nathan, we want to turn now to our interview with Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan, spoke with our Bloomberg affiliate in Mexico discussing the latest inflation numbers, a potential rating downgrade for the U.S., and the headwinds that the U.S. economy faces. Let's go to part of that discussion. I think the numbers go today. Personally, I think people are overreacting to short-term numbers, and they should stop doing that because you look at all the adjustments that go into them. They're not completely valid. I think inflation is probably a little stickier than that shows. I think they're, I think they do, they're doing the right thing to pause for now. You know, they've raised rates a lot you know, to wait to see the effect on the economy in the U.S., particularly as the fiscal spending, uh, the excess fiscal spending is winding down and quantitative tightening is kicking in. But I still think, you know, you should prepare. They might have to do a little bit more. And I think people should be prepared for that just as a kind of a risk management uh, tool. And I'm afraid inflation may not go away that quickly. And, well, also three months ago, Fitch ratings downgraded U.S. credit rating. And this weekend, we saw Moody's changing its outlook on the U.S. credit rating to negative, pointing to a sharp rise in debt servicing costs and political polarization. What do you expect in these terms? You know, I, look, I, I find it a little ironic that Fitch and Moody's are doing that today. Mm -hmm. So here's what I think. They are right to point out those issues. I would take polar, polarization off. That's, that's always been true okay. in a democracy. But yes, we have far more debt and more debt financing. We've been a little profitable when it comes to that. But the market is pricing us as AAA, which I think is more right. And the market will be more right than the rating agencies. I also want to point out, I find this almost funny, they have a lot of countries rated AAA. They all live under the protection of the American military. And so I think it's a little peculiar that that makes them AAA, but not America. So uh, America will be fine, but we but we got to get our hands around these problems. They they will not age well. The deficit's a lot bigger this year than we thought. There may be consequences of that. And so I do. I think they're right to point it out. And talking about your bank, Jamie, how would you sum up this year 2023, given that it was such a tough time for the broader industry? 
I don't look at any one year like it's a mystical thing, you know. <laughs> I always tell people the profits are like the tip of an iceberg is bobbing in the ocean. You know, the real quality of your company is your people, your systems, your technology, your products, your services. So we had a good year financially. You know, I know that some banks had some problems. We've been quite clear we're over-earning, but to me, the important thing is that we're going to serve our clients through thick or thin. We've got plenty of capital, plenty of liquidity. We're not going to panic. No matter what happens in the environment out there, we're going to be in Mexico serving your clients, your country, uh, the way we should be. And, you know, I think if rates, and I'm, I'm, look, I'm hoping it. The first Republicans we bought was probably the last domino, but I've always said, provided rates don't go up, we don't have a, a recession. And I do think banks are being prepared for that. That's just, a, that's just a reasonable, thoughtful risk management tool. Be prepared for things you don't expect so you can continue to build your company. How to prepare for the things that you don't expect? You, when, the way we do it is we model out you know, how we would do with 2% interest rates and 7% interest rates, how we would do with credit losses going up, stress testing markets around the world. So we do like literally 100 stress tests a week. And so we're always looking at that so that we can manage through that. And that in, under all those circumstances, we're fine. Fine means to me that you don't have to announce massive layoffs, you don't have to like pull out of a country, that you continue to meet the commitments you have to the people in the country and the, the countries themselves. You know, people don't like banks who are, not, who are fair weather friends. And so, you know, we're going to be there for people uh, all the time. And, you know, we're always, we've always been careful how we run the bank. If there is really a future for fintech startups, or will they be outlasted or out-innovated by banks? Yeah, I think it's the wrong way to look at the question. Like, it's a binary answer. Mm -hmm. you know, we, there, there will be some who will not survive. There will be some who are very smart and they have a great niche idea. There will be some who are more than that. You know, so J.P. Morgan, we look at all the fintech. We also look at the big tech. You know, we have competition effectively from Apple, Google, Facebook. And so there will always be survivors. And, you know, our job is to make sure we're lean, we're mean, we're thinking, we're competitive. We're not. It's always better to assume that some of these people be successful than to assume that they won't be successful. And, you know, I've, I've pointed out to our own management teams that there's some great companies out there that we could have built and we didn't, like Square and Stripe. And so, you know, you've got to be open-minded and a little humble about uh, what's going to take place. Your size alone is not going to make you succeed in the future. If you don't believe me, read about the history of all large corporations. Also, I would like you to ask about Mexican eco uh, economy. Which are your, your perspectives uh, with uh, high interest rates, high inflation, but with the opportunity of nearshoring? Again, I think it's a great opportunity. And, you know, the, the, a lot of Latin American countries raise their interest rates rapidly quickly and they probably did the right thing for the long run of the economy. You have very low unemployment. You know, inflation is coming down, so hopefully you'll conquer that. I think countries should always look at, and I, I really mean this, like I do as a company, what, what should they be growing? And, you know, I think we've undergrown in America, you know, quite a bit over the last years. And I think Mexico should aspire to do much more. And just like, so that's how I look at it. And the, to do more, all these countries, all of us, you know, it's about policy. And you've already mentioned infrastructure, but it's about work skills, effective regulation, transparency, corporate governance, uh, you know, rapid permitting. Uh, it's all those things, you know, consistency of law that have a country grow. And the important part of having a country grow, it helps all of the citizens. 
there's more taxes, you have more wherewithal. You know, it's not just for big companies that you want to grow an economy, you really want it for everybody. You know, every job created, you know, every job created is a job for someone. And so, you know, people, we need, we only be very thoughtful about how we can grow our economies to help, and we should do it to benefit all the citizens of our country. You know, not just the, you know, the wealthier and the employed, but everybody. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.